We're in the book of Acts, chapter 3. I'm going to take verse 11 through 26. It's a large passage. I, I have a particular, I guess, purpose in mind for it. My, my inclination is that we might, um, we might get another few sermons out of this passage, but I have a, a particular desire from taking the larger passage. I'm going to kind of treat it a little bit in a, in a macro sense to see the big picture of what's going on here, which is obviously Peter pe- preaching Christ. But Acts chapter 3, verse 11, Hear the holy word of our holy God. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. When Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and the righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man, whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also, But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he had thus fulfilled. Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward have announced these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord God, we thank you that you are a merciful and a loving God. That, Father, you so love the world that you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of your infinite love, that he should suffer and die for the likes of us, to pay for our sins with his blood, to rise for our justification. Enlarge our hearts, Lord God. Increase our faith. May we leave this day more in love with you, more in love with brothers and sisters in Christ, more in love with our enemies, that we might win them to you, Jesus Christ, with your gospel. Turn wicked sinners from our ways, Lord, back to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The context of what we just read, obviously, is Acts chapter 3, 1 through 10, which we looked at last week. 
and you remember what we were considering was uh, a miracle, and we briefly um, defined a miracle as God working without, above, or against his ordinary or secondary means. God ordinarily governs things through ordinary secondary causes, that kind of a thing. And so what we saw is a man who was born lame from his mother's womb, from birth, and in in, in a moment... In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this man was made well. You remember in John chapter 9, there was a man who was also born uh, blind. And the apostles asked Jesus, so who sinned that this man should be blind? The fellow or the fellow's parents? Remember what Jesus said? It's neither. He's not saying the man is sinless. He's not saying the man's folks are sinless. He said that this has nothing to do with this man's particular sin. This fellow was blind for the day that I walked by him, for right now, that I would be glorified, that God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, would be manifest, that people would look at Jesus taking a man who could never see and giving him perfect sight. This fellow, born lame. We we can't even think of it. Our view of God is, my view of God is so small. It's not big enough. Our views of Christ are not big enough because we're too big in our own eyes. And we think life revolves around us or mankind. God does whatever he wants with the creatures to bring him glory. And this man is is lame from birth. So that one day, in the name of Jesus Christ, Peter and John could say to this man who thinks he's going to receive money, I'm not going to give you any money because I don't have any money. I'm going to give you what I have. In the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, stand, walk. Leap, And that's a miracle. And so as Bible-believing Christians, we believe in the miracles of Scripture because we believe in the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not like... Remember when we were kids? I know I'm dating myself. We studied Greek myth and, and Roman myth in school. I don't know if they do that in school anymore. But the gods of the Romans and the Greeks, like the gods of the Hindus, they're just like strong... They're like a little cut above men. They're wicked, but now they have power to do their wickedness. That, that's not the God of the Bible. There's, there's nothing too hard for the God of the Bible. This sermon is a very simple sermon. It's a one-point sermon. It's looked at Jesus. But look to the Jesus of the Bible, who is the second person of the Godhead. There, there, he is the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer. He is the great I Am, come in the flesh. So we began, this section of preaching flows out of a real miracle that none of the Jews, even the Jews that denied Jesus is the Christ, could deny this. And when we look at lameness or blindness or when we look at death, when we look at death, and sickness which is just a little herald of death, that's what it is. I'm not being morose or melancholy or any of those things. Death is in the world because of sin. Sickness, which is a herald or a harbinger of death, is in the world because of sin. Or if I would have perfect that, it's in the world because of God's curse for Adam's sin. So death is not natural. Lameness is not natural. Blindness is not natural. None of those things are natural. They're added because God added a curse. On the day that you sin against me, you shall surely what? die and so spiritually Adam and Eve died right away and then physically the principle of physical death was introduced right away 
So we, we, we are dying the moment we come into the world. Sometimes God says in his, in his, in his providence, you're going to live one day. You're going to live two years. You're going to live 80 years. But make no mistake about it, beloved. It is appointed to every man to die because of this. And so what we, we have here in the lame man, in the blind man of John 9, it's a picture of fallen man. It's a picture of fallen man. You, the, you've been watching the news this week. There's one side of the country that um, they're very thankful to God and they're very happy. And there's a, another side of the country that is ready to burn our country down. Beloved, natural man, after the fall of Adam, we are not good people. We're not holy. We're not righteous. We're, we're not loving. We're not merciful. The Bible tells us what natural man is after the fall. We're unloving. No one seeks God. Our feet are shift, uh, quick to sh- shed blood. Th- this lame man is a picture of natural man, right? I mean, unconverted man, man apart from Jesus. It, before you were, you were a Christian, before you were converted, you were walking around thinking, hey, I can do whatever I want to do and I'm a pretty good person. That's not true. The Bible comes along and says, this is what you are. You're blind, you're deaf, you're dumb, you're lame. And then the Bible comes in Ephesians chapter 2 and says, I even have worse news. You are dead in your sins and trespasses. The only answer for man, for, man, for us, who are lame, deaf, dumb, blind, dead, spiritually. The only answer is what Peter is preaching on, is Jesus Christ. Someone, not a church member, one time told me, I'm leaving the church. I said, why are you leaving the church? He said, you preach the same thing every week. You tell us about Jesus every week. Beloved, that hurt my feelings. I work a long time on these sermons. But I I did share to this fellow, I pray to God that I preach Jesus Christ every week. Because Jesus is the answer. We're spiritually lame. We're spiritually blind. We're spiritually dead. You put your trust in any other thing, medicines, potions, politicians, anything. They cannot raise the dead. They can't make the lame walk. They can't make the blind see. Jesus, when he's healed in the name of Jesus, that miracle, what does John call miracles in John's gospel? Signs. It's like a big neon sign pointing at Jesus of Nazareth saying, he is the Christ. What does it say in Isaiah 35? And the lame shall leap like a what? Like a deer. So the context of Peter's sermon is the miracle. And Peter didn't do the miracle. It was God through Peter that did the miracle. And he's going to be quick to say that. Some of us have been, and I've mentioned this maybe last week, I, I didn't come out of the womb into, into Reformed Christianity. I was a Roman Catholic, married to a Hindu, and then we became born-again Christians. But I went everywhere. Pentecostal, Baptist, you name it. You take it, you pick. So have I been to miracle services in Pentecostal churches? Yes, but nothing like this. Nothing like, in the name of Jesus, crippled, stand and walk. In the name of Jesus, blind man, see. In the name of Jesus, widow from Nain's son, get up out of that coffin. Only Jesus can do this. And he did it during this particular time. I would argue it's before the close of canon using the apostles. 
So these things point us to Jesus. Remember I said that that death and sickness is in the world because of the curse of God? There's only one way in one person that can remove the curse. It's, It's not that man needs a little medicine or man needs a little education. I'm for education. I'm for education, uh, for, for medicine, all of those things. That's not our fundamental problem. Man's fundamental problem is we are under the curse of Almighty God for sin. And what P- Peter's sermon is going to say in the miracle says, only Jesus can take away the curse. Only Jesus can restore us back to God. Only Jesus. Amen? That's what's going on. And the man we see in verse 11, look at what he's doing. The man who was healed is clinging to the apostle Peter. Why is he clinging to the apostle Peter? It's obvious. He's overwhelmed with joy. He, this man is overwhelmed with joy and loves the instrument through which God has healed him. Which one would not love? And this, If you've ever had a doctor that that in God's providence was the doctor that God used to effect some large healing or restoration for you or a loved one. Perhaps you had a little child that would have died, but for the skill of some doctor. You love that doctor. I have a lady surgeon. I love that woman. (laughs) I love that woman. Because God in his kindness used her to help me in a particularly distressing time. So this man, it's obvious, he's clinging to Peter because he loves the instrument. But it's, if we're not given faith, which is a spiritual gift of God, the only thing we're going to love is the instrument and not the effectual cause of the healing. The only thing that you would do is be devoted to Peter or to be devoted to the surgeon. But with eyes of faith, we know ultimately who's the one that does the healing, right? Peter says it. It's not me. It's not John. It's God in Christ. Beloved, the only way to look behind the providential kindness, the miraculous kindness that this man receives or that we receive, the only way to see the true effectual cause of our new life, of our health, is to have have the gift of of faith given to us by God the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, otherwise, without the gift of faith, you just say, wow, that's an amazing thing. Read John chapter 11. There were people who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Four days, the guy's dead. And he comes out of the, Lazarus come forth, and he comes forth, takes away the curse of death. And you would think, right? Everyone would believe that Jesus is the Christ after that. They would repent of their sins. They would love Jesus. They would follow Jesus. Is that what happened, beloved? Read John chapter 11. Is that what happened? No. A whole boatload of them left seeing Lazarus raised from the dead. And you know what they said? We've got to go see the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we need to kill this guy. We need to kill this guy because if we let this guy, Jesus, keep running around raising people from the dead, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to our power? So we, we think, well, if I could see a miracle, if Jesus right now would leave the throne and come here and raise my dead father, raise my dead mother, then I would believe. 
Oh, beloved, no. No, 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 no. Faith is a gift of Almighty God. Sovereign grace. Sovereign, sovereign, sovereign. He gives faith to whom he gives faith. That's God's business. And so, seeing the miracle without eyes of faith, we can thank the instrument. Seeing the miracle with eyes of faith, we can thank the instrument and then fall down on our knees and praise God for sending his Christ to do such things for us. Beloved, read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Spiritual things to unspiritual people are foolishness. Only those who have been born again, who are given new eyes to see and a heart to love, can look at this and say, I love Christ. Oh, Christ is so good. Beloved, sometimes people say, I heard it coming, I go once a year to a special eye doctor up in Cal- up in Birmingham. On the way back, driving back the other day, someone said, well, if you could go back and live a certain point of life, when would you go back? When you're 18, 19, whenever you had strength and health? I said, oh, this is so stupid. Sometimes when you listen to worldly things, you think this is so stupid. As if being 19 and having a strong body or a fuller head of hair is really where it's all at. But that's how natural man thinks. Beloved, what's the greatest gift in the entire world and what's the greatest curse in the entire world? Looking at this passage. The greatest curse in the world is is unbelief. So you don't know God. You don't know God in Christ. You don't know His healing. You don't know anything. You're dead in your sins and trespasses. The greatest gift... You, you could be sick as a dog here this morning. You could be broken, broken. Your family could be broken. If you have the gift of faith that you can see this Christ that Peter is preaching, it is the greatest gift in all the world because it's, it's, it's of use for this life and for the next life. Now, from this miraculous occurrence, that's the context, and what we have here in our passage is sometimes we refer to this as a Peter's, uh, Solomon's porch sermon. It's his second sermon. His first sermon is, is recorded for us, sermon, air quotes, earlier. Remember where pre- pre- Peter preaches his first sermon? He's in the upper room of a private home on the day of Pentecost. His subject is very much like what it, it is here. And the subject will be Jesus, Jesus Christ. But this is his second sermon, Solomon's portico, Solomon's porch And look at what Peter's doing. Again, remember we're looking at this passage in a bird's eye view. What occupation is Peter engaged in right now? What occupation did Peter have before he met Jesus? He was a fisherman. And what occupation did Jesus give him? He made him a fisher of what? Men. That's what he's doing. The apostle Peter is busy about his new calling. He's fishing. I grew up on Cape Cod, fishing, fishing, fishing. You clip your G at the end, fishing. He's fishing. What's he fishing for and what's he fishing with? His net is the word of God. He's going to preach the law of God. He's going to say to turn you from your wicked ways, your sinners, lawlessness. He preaches the law. To be an OPC minister, there's a bunch of hoops that you jump through. and One of the exams that you go through One of the guys always stands up and says, will you preach the law of God? And people think, law, what do you mean? We're under grace. Why would you preach law? That's Romans chapter 6. I do agree with the right sense, but not the wrong sense. 
One of the reasons we have Christians living like heathens nowadays in this country in which we live is because no one preaches the law anymore. And if you don't preach the law of God, then the gospel of God doesn't make any sense. Why does Jesus die on the cross? Well, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, just I don't know. Because the wages of sin is what? Death. So here is this man who's engaged in his new vocation, a fisher of men. His net or his line is the word of God only. Only, only. Bible. He's preaching Bible. But he preaches the full counsel of God's word. He's preaching the law of God and he preaches the law of God faithfully in order to faithfully proclaim the gospel of God. And this, this is important for us. No one wants to be the ugly, strange Christian. Well, I don't want to be around you. You're always talking about sin. We all want to be liked. We want to be considered enlightened and smart. We don't want to be considered stupid. I get that. But to run around and say, everything's swell. You're good. I'm good. Marry a cat. Turn yourself into a dog. It doesn't matter. God doesn't have any opinion on this. Everybody's going to get to heaven at the end. Beloved, that's a lie. That is a lie. That's not true. The, the, the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, preaches the law of God faithfully. You have a cancer that's going to kill you. It's called sin, and you're dead in your sins right now. What's my only hope? Christ. You see, he preaches both, but he's busy. He's busy about his calling, and he's busy proclaiming the word of God. And what we find Peter doing, if you go through this passage, it's so, it's so Christological, it's so Christ-centered, it's so Christ-focused. Almost every verse is Jesus, 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 exactly why that guy left the church. Can't you get around to like taking over society or how to have a good marriage or how to have a few more bucks in your, in your wallet? No, I can't. I'll see you later. I hope the, the Lord keeps the church doors open, but no, I can't. I'm not preaching crown financial, none of that. If you want to learn, go, go, go to, I don't know where they learn to finance. <laughs> Every verse, Peter is Jesus. Jesus comes with the name Jesus, the title Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. You've killed him. He's the righteous and the holy one. But he's busy preaching what the Apostle Paul says. You remember, it's a plaque in my office, First. Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, I suffer to know nothing except what? You remember that statement? Christ crucified. Remember Galatians chapter, this is what Peter's doing. Remember Galatians chapter 6? Paul says, I only glory in one thing. What does he glory in? That he was born Jew of Jews? Did he glory in those things? No, read Philippians 3, 1 through 14. He says, I don't glory in any of those things. I don't glory that my grandparents came over on the Mayflower. I don't gl gl glory on any of that. I only glory in Jesus and the cross of Jesus that cleanses me of all unrighteousness. He, Peter, Paul, the apostles, faithful ministers, their whole ministry is to present the person in the work of Jesus. Do they preach other things? Yes, but they're all subordinate to Christ. In some way, they point to Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. Paul says this. J.C. Rowell has a beautiful sermon on this text. He says, um, 
he's glorying in, in Jesus Christ. He talks about the, the riches of Jesus Christ is what he's preaching. He only wants to preach the riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, as Peter is preaching Jesus, what he's not preaching in relationship to the miracle. The people are looking at Peter, because he's the main guy, and John to some extent, and they're looking going, this is amazing. This guy can heal lame people. What does Peter say right away? This is, this is key to what he's preaching. If one of, the, one, of, one of the criticisms the unbeliever has against the ministry of the word, preachers, you know this, right? Why are preachers in it? Let's just put the cynic's hat on. Why do preachers become preachers? It's, so, it's the sweetest gig in the world. You make a boatload of money, you drive a Mercedes, you work one day a week, and you eat fried chicken the rest of the week. It's just a sweet gig. You're in it for the cash, and you're in it for the women. That's why you're in it. If Peter were in this preaching business for money or fame, now is the perfect sinful opportunity to say, that's exactly right. I healed him. I am the first pope of the Holy Roman Church. Call me Papa. Call me Abba. I did it. How about some silver? How about some gold? How about some adoration? How about some purple? I did it. Would this not be the opportunity? I've often said, if there are guys that could raise the dead and heal the sick, ministers in this church, there'd be no one in this church, me either. I'd be at their church. <laughs> Having them raised by folks from the dead. This is the opportunity. It's all about me. But what does he do? This very significant. When we're looking at the preaching of Jesus by this, this is the opportunity. And what person would not say, how much money is it going to cost to get my daughter back? I'm going to mortgage the house. This is the time. Notice what Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say it's me. He does the exact opposite. He's not preaching the church, the church of my youth. Beloved, be very, very careful. This man is preaching Jesus. Beware of ministers that preach secondary or tertiary things as the main thing in their preaching. If all you hear is church government, if all you hear is baptism, all you hear is genuflect or, or robes or non-robes, you need to leave that church. You need to leave that church. That's not a, they're not preaching the apostolic mode. Are, does the Bible have views on those things? Yes. But if you make secondary things the thing, what are they robbing you of? heaven they're robbing you of heaven let's say you get church government right but you don't you don't know jesus you don't come to the one that peter's preaching but you understand church government where are you not going you're not going to see, see jesus and so be very careful I, I i don't mean to be redundant every week i don't mean to not never touch on those secondary or tertiary things where god speaks on them we speak on them but it is not the mold of apostolic preaching. And you hear people do this all the time. 
well, aren't you going to be a political preacher? Aren't you going to be this kind of social, cultural renovation preacher? No, I'm not. I'm going to be a Jesus preacher. I'm going to tell you about Jesus so when you die, you can go to heaven. This country, as much as I love, is going to burn up. Read the second epistle of, of Peter. I pray for the country. I pray for the leaders. Peter is preparing people to die and meet God in Christ. That's my job. That's his job. And so beware of the person that changes that for other things, even if the other things are right in their place. And also, Peter's not taking the credit to himself. He gives the credit to Christ. And as I mentioned, he's not preaching the church. What church do you all go to? Are you Episcopalians? Are you Presbyterians? Are you Baptist? That's the wrong question, beloved. That is the wrong question. That's a Roman Catholic question for Protestants. And we Protestants think, oh, you Roman Catholics, you don't know what you're talking about. Tons of Protestants act just like Roman Catholics. Oh, the church. So if I'm in the right church, I'm going to heaven. Oh, no. Oh, no. Judas was in the right church. He preached Jesus. He did miracles in the name of Jesus. And he went to hell because he was, wasn't in Christ. So, beloved, beware of men that don't preach Christ. They preach other things. Beware of people that preach the church and they don't preach Christ. You don't find it in the Bible. You don't find it. And even in reform, so-called reformed churches, they're going to slip. Come to Mother Church. Come to this church. Come to this church. Beloved, run for the hills. The church doesn't save. Christ alone saves. And we are not immune from this stuff in the reformed church. Um, do I love the OPC? Yes, I love the OPC. Do I love the reformed faith? Yes, because they present Christ to me. So he's not preaching himself. He's preaching Christ. He's not preaching the church. He's preaching Christ. And the remainder of what he does in our passage is very simple. He's using proof after proof after proof that Jesus is the Christ. Am I a Calvinist? Yes. Am I an Arminian? Not anymore. Was I an Arminian? No, I was just a confused Calvinist that didn't know what I was. This is where, this is where folks get the Reformed faith mixed up. They think, well, we all think that God ordains everything. Yes, I know that he does. Ephesians 1, 11. You think that it's been appointed to people to believe. Yes, I know that he does. Acts 13, verse 48. The Bible says it. I know that. Then people think, well, why are you going to preach if God has ordained the elect to be saved in Christ? Because he's ordained preaching as the means to bring them in. He's ordained the ends and he's ordained the means. So my Calvinists, my hyper-Calvinists think I'm, Arm, I'm an Arminian and my Arminian friends think I'm a loon. What does Peter say? Well, I hope you all are elect. I hope you all are elect. Is that what he says? What is he saying? Let me prove to you that Jesus is the Christ from the Old Testament. And what does he say after this? And I know my reform, some of my reformed friends think that I should turn in my Calvinist card. What is he saying? Repent and believe. You must repent and believe. <laughs> it's not Arminianism. This is, this is God's ordained means to bring in God's ordained ends. How does it all work? I don't have any idea. But God says it. The Apostle Peter does it. The Apostle Paul does it. So can I find some guy, Reverend Hudson Frutz, with his 10 volumes, who says that's not the way to do it? Yes, but I'm not going to go with Reverend Hudson Frutz. I'm going to go with Paul and Peter. He preaches Christ and then tells people, repent of your sins and believe in Jesus for the remission of your sins. It's not Arminianism. If you're thinking you're saved by election, see me later. 
You're not justified by eternal election. You're justified when you repent and believe. I do know there are some reformers that hold the other view, but I'm not one of them. So he, the, the whole sermon, the rest of the sermon that he's doing is he's providing scriptural proofs that Jesus is the Christ. Have you ever heard of Derek Thomas? Is he Welsh? I think he, he, he baptized one of my, I have four grandsons, of four on earth and two in heaven. He baptized the first grandson up in South Carolina at ARP Church. And I thought, it was a beautiful sermon, by the way, in service. Derek Thomas says this second sermon of Peter, he calls it a New Testament sermon on an Old Testament text. And that's exactly right. So what Peter is doing to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ is he does like this. The Bible says, Deuteronomy 18. The Bible says, Genesis 22, Genesis 28. The Bible says, Jesus is the Christ. Again, this is a very simple sermon, Jesus, but it's the Jesus of the Bible. And look at what the apostle Peter puts his hope or rests his hope in. And this is significant for us modern American enlightened Christians, right? Look at our country. I mean, you don't want to walk outside with a kid that's under like three years old because they're going to scoop him up and throw him in the fire to, to Moloch. Look at our country, how enlightened we are. Oh, we're not enlightened at all. Our, our country loves to mock the word of God. Does it, does it creep into the church? Oh, Katie, bar the door. You could go to churches right now that a hundred years ago would have preached the Bible. Now they think the Bible's a joke, right? What is Peter saying? Bible. The Bible's the truth. We think, well, what kind of tricks do we need to present Jesus? What kind of tricks does the preacher need? What about the, the Christian? We need sorts of tricky things to navigate this Christian life. You know what we need to do? I need to do? You need to do? Believe the Bible is the very word of God. Why, why is it only marriage is between a man and a woman? Because God said so. Why shouldn't we murder people? Because God said don't murder. Am I right with that? Why is Jesus the only way to heaven? Because God said so. Well, Is there any other reason? No. <laughs> I know this seems like, well, John, you're, not, you're dragging your knuckles on the ground. I promise I'm not. Once you be, go be well, I'm going to put the Bible away and I'm going to enter into like a discourse with the heathen. Beloved, beloved, this is a spiritual warfare. Who is telling you, hey, um, why don't you put your gun down? <laughs> why don't you put your sword down? I promise it will be Marcus of Queensbury rules. Go ahead, put your sword down. Oh, okay, is it going to go well for me? No, it's not going well for you. Don't put the sword down. We need to believe the Bible. The church needs to believe the Bible. And I don't mean like, I'm not a ranter and a raver like, like you check in your brains. Beloved, but the ministers need to believe that the Bible is the very word of God and that we can live our, our life finding our doctrine in the Bible, live our life finding our practice in the Bible. You go somewhere else, it's just the words of man. It's just the words of man. You think, I think, you say tomato, I say tomato, it's the words of man. Peter says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And I know people mock that and they think, well, you're some kind of fundamentalist loon. No, you're not a fundamentalist loon. You're believing the Bible like Peter. And it's significant that he says the Bible says because look at who he's talking to. He says, men of what? Israel. It is 
Out of all the people of the earth, Deuteronomy chapter 7, he only chooses Israel. And he gives Israel what? The oracles and the ordinances of God for bringing in the elect and building up the elect in Christ. The Bible. And these people said, we're people of the Bible. And what does Peter say? Okay, I'm going to take you up on that. Isn't it easy as a Protestant to say, oh, I totally believe the Bible. So why are you doing what you're doing with that boy or that girl that's not your husband or wife? If you believe the Bible is the Bible. Well, I believe the Bible because I'm a Protestant. I believe the Bible. Why do you think you can go to heaven by believing in Mahatma Gandhi if you believe in the Bible? Well, I believe the Bible, but I believe the Bible. No, you don't believe the Bible. <laughs> you say you believe the Bible. Saying you believe the Bible and believe in the Bible, two different things. He says to these people, you're Jews. God gave you the Bible. And now what does he say to them? Now believe it. Now believe it. Beloved, have you ever had a Christian ask you some question, doctrine or practical question that's clear as a bell in Scripture? I mean clear. Well, you know, what is the, what's God's answer on this? And you give them God's answer on it. And they don't want to do it. And what do they say? That's your interpretation. I'll see you later. Okie doke. Okie doke. And we're not talking on a fine point here. The Apostle Peter is going to say, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Hebrew forefathers, says that Jesus is the Christ. He is a, Peter is a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Messiah of the Jews, who's preaching to what? Jews. And he says, it's not against the Bible to believe Jesus is the Christ. It's not against the God of the Bible to believe Jesus is the Christ. It's not anti-Jewish to believe Jesus is the Christ. It's faith. It's right. It's biblical. Did Abraham believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. The Bible says in the book of Galatians chapter 3, Abraham believed in the gospel of Jesus and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. He was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What about Moses? Did Moses believe in Jesus Christ even before he was incarnate in the flesh? Read the Bible. Where does it say it? Hebrews chapter 11. He left the glories of Egypt and Pharaoh's court for what? To suffer reproach with Christ. He says to the Jews, the father of the Jews looked forward by faith and he saw Christ's day and was glad. Moses preaches Jesus. Did David believe in Jesus? David wrote Psalm 16, right? He knows that God is going to take his Christ after death. He won't suffer decay and he'll rise up and sit at the right hand of, of glory. David believed in Jesus. It's not anti-Jewish. It's not anti-Bible. This is a Jew who comes to believe in Jesus. Paul's a Jew who comes to believe in Jesus. Remember Timothy? His dad was a Greek. His mom was a Jew. They, she shouldn't have got married, by the way, because that was verboten. It was not a racial thing. It's a religious thing. But the mother and the, and the grandmother of Timothy taught him what? Jesus. From the Old Testament scriptures. You remember the two men on the Emmaus Road? Jewish disciples of Jesus the risen Christ? They're walking around and Jesus opens up the Old Testament and says, from Moses to Malachi, they preach me. Beloved, this whole sermon of Peter is to tell Jews with a Bible, to tell Christians with a Bible, 
The Bible says Jesus is the Christ. The Bible says that he's going to die for our sins. He, 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 he breaks out. This is why we'll have to get into other sermons. He brings in the two, the two estates of Jesus. His estate of humiliation, his estate of exaltation. He suffered and he died. He, crucified, he was crucified for what? Why did they kill Jesus? For sins. The wages of sin is death. And then it talks about his exaltation, that he was raised from the dead. And where is Jesus now? He's in heaven. Peter's whole design is to inform these people's minds of Jesus, is to to warm their affections and to move their wills, to repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus. That's his whole purpose. He wants us to take our minds off of self and put them on Christ. And he does want to use the bad news of being a sinner to drive us to the good news that Jesus is a Savior. When I look at this Christ sermon by Peter. Peter says, you, you killed the, the Lord of glory. You did it. Someone said to me yesterday, a person I love very much, they said, I don't think God will save people that are in the abortion industry. I don't think they'll do it because this person found butchering babies so obnoxious, which of course God finds obnoxious. Is that true? Could God save a woman that murdered her baby if she turned from her sins and asked forgiveness of Christ? Could God save a person living in homosexual or heterosexual sin from the penalty which is eternal death if they turn to Jesus and say, Thou sinner, thou savior, forgive me. What's worse? Killing a human being or murdering the Lord of glory? What's worse? Beloved, I know Peter says to turn you from your wicked ways. That's bad news. He does it to bring in the good news. But he's so gentle here. He calls them brothers. He said you did it in ignorance. These people murdered the Lord of glory. And what did God say to the Apostle Peter? I want you to go see the people that murdered me and tell them, repent of your sins and turn to me and be forgiven and a time of refreshment come. Beloved, I'm thankful to God for the ruling that happened. I'm so heartbroken. Nothing is going to change anyone's heart, whether you're whatever side you're on. Nothing is going to change a heart. Nothing. Unless people come to believe in this one. And as much as I'm pro-life, protecting a little baby is not the gospel. Hindus stay married longer than Christians. Christian people divorce way more than Hindus. Staying married is not not the gospel, and I'm for staying married, but it's not the gospel. 
Christ is the gospel. His dying for sins is the gospel. It's the only thing that changes our hearts. It's the only thing that reconciles us to God. It's the only thing that washes our sins away. I, I, I pray, I pray that we would believe in this one. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.